Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Ian Cron. And I'm Suzanne Stubiel. And we are glad that you're here. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Road Back to You podcast, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. It's a beautiful day here in Music City, and I am delighted to be with my co-host, Suzanne Stabile. Good morning, Suze. Good morning. How you been? I've been been well. Yeah? I've been good. I've been good. You know what I did last night? What? I watched four episodes of Seinfeld last night. It's been a long... (laughs) I I must be culturally just catching up, I guess. Yeah. did you like Seinfeld? I did. Did you know, now of course this is all speculation, right? But did you know that Jerry Seinfeld is a one on the Enneagram? It would seem that's possible. Okay, here's another one. Did you know that Tina Fey is a one on the Enneagram? Did okay. you read her memoir? No. Did you, okay, Bossy Pants. She is a one on the Enneagram. Guess what we're talking about today? Ones on the Enneagram. Hello. We are talking about ones on the Enneagram, and we got two of our favorite people here. You want to you want to introduce them? You know I do because when I uh, travel around the country, because of my way of being in the world, um, seems like many places I just pick up a couple of people that I carry in my heart from that point forward. And uh, Christopher and Amanda are two of those people. I picked them up last year when we were here at Otter Creek, and I've been looking at pictures and carrying them around in my heart since that day. So to be with them on the show is fantastic. Mm. Well, ones are, um, you know, I have an affection for each number for, for different reasons, you know, Um, because every number when it's in a, in its healthy space, you know, is beautiful, right. And, and necessary. Um, I have a a special affection for ones and I, I'll tell you, uh, just 30 second, Maybe not even that story about why. When I was in the seventh grade, I uh, showed up a class one day and they were showing a movie. This is back in the days when they had the reels. Remember the reels, you know, set up in the middle of the room, right? And I'm thinking, oh, God, well, you know, at least I can take a nap. And uh, well, as it turned out, it was the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. And of course, Gregory Peck playing the role of Atticus Finch. was so moving to me because I, I didn't have a great dad. And he is the, to me, the American icon, the epitome of a great, healthy one on the Enneagram. I just read that book for the first time this summer. Did you? Yes. Okay. So yeah. did, am I right? Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he Amazing. is, he is like, uh, as a friend of mine said, you know, if it hadn't been Atticus Finch, this country would have killed every lawyer by now. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, if I'm in Braticus, we'd all be dead because people would have hated us, you know, forever. You know, well, you know that's such a great intro because when I uh, first noticed, we had like 450 people with us at that event, right, I think. Right, right. When I first noticed Christopher and Amanda, they were both crying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, uh, uh-oh, yep. mm-hmm. uh-oh, Ian has done something that has hurt their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank you. We'll we'll revisit that later. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. So I went right over to them, and what we discovered is that they were both ones, and they have two beautiful children. Yep. I mean, they are. Jack and Francine are 
uh, two of the most expressive faces mm -hmm. that will ever be on the planet, <laughs> ever. And they're really, um, were dialed in that night about, okay, now how do we take care of these two? Mm. So let's talk for a moment, and, and Christopher and Amanda, we're going to, we, 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 are so aware that you're here, but you know, a lot of our, our <laughs> listeners are not entirely familiar with every single number on the Enneagram. We're going to get right to you, but uh, let's just talk for a moment and chime in, please. Hallmark features of this, this one that wouldn't would typically call the perfectionist or the reformer. Um, Suze, let's talk about some of those features. Uh, well, ones are the people who assess everything for improvement, mm -hmm. primarily themselves. Ones are in the anger triad, but sadly um, for them, you know, eights can be angry and then it's over. Right. And nines are passive aggressive. But ones, uh, anger is not really the problem. It's the cause of the problem. And the problem is resentment. Mm -hmm. And ones really struggle with um, feeling like they have to take responsibility for fixing everything right. and making everything right in a world where so much is not right. Right. And that starts with themselves, of course. They're list makers, uh, since everything needs fixing. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to think about how many times in your home you put the things that need to be done on a list. And so a real way to gain affection and understanding for ones is to recognize that whatever list you have on the bar at your house with the few things that need to be done, that's how, a, uh, that's how ones see the world every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Every 15 minutes. Christopher, you're going to respond? Every second. Every second. Why don't you guys tell us, like, like from your study of Enneagram 1, mm -hmm. what hallmark features of, of, that, of that number do you, do you guys stand out to you as being like, wow? I think when I heard it for the first time, I felt one that like this person or this concept knows me so well. And the, the main thing about a one is that nothing is ever good enough mm -hmm. and how you are constantly striving for perfection, but there is no way to arrive at perfection. Like it's, it's impossible. And so when she said, when Suzanne, you said last fall, good enough is good enough. It's like, I don't, I want to believe that. And I want to hear that. And I want to like, that's it. Good enough is good enough. But something is always like, good enough is not good enough. Good enough is, is good enough for everybody else. But I've got to be right. I can't just be like kind of right. Yeah, perfect. Mm. I don't want to make a C. I want to make it 100. Right, right. You know, one of the things that, um, that makes me sad for you is that perfection is so elusive. And I always, I've never used this example, but it goes through my head every time that I talk about this, and that is ice sculpture. You know, one time I was at a big hotel mm. where they had a guy who was doing ice sculpture, and I was fascinated with the process, freezing to death, but happy to be cold to get to watch. And then this ice sculpture was finished, and it was perfect. And then it started to melt. And it only took, you know, a minute and then what had been perfect was dissolving. And I think that must be how y'all feel. It's like, oh, it's real. That's it. Oh, wait, that's not quite it. Mm -hmm. That, yes, that's totally bullseye for, for me. And I'm trying to, I've known about the Enneagram for a year and under, under you guys uh, through this podcast and through Suzanne's MP3s. Uh, 
And I'm trying to tell myself that's true. I'm trying to do the work and also a year into pretty intensely trying to do the work. I'm, I'm still, I still get stuck there every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, that's always going to happen. That's going to happen because yeah. I've been doing the work for a long time. And I have such affection for you guys when you leave today. I promise you, it's going to go through my head. I hope they love me. When Ian and I wrap up this afternoon, I promise it's going to go through my head. I I hope we're good. I hope I did a good job, and I hope Ian and I are good. So you're never going to get past it. Don't make that the goal. Yeah. In, in, In fact, have it be good enough that you're working toward that. I think one of the shows that we need to do, Suzanne, because we we and we don't even have much of a chance on we don't really have any chance on our our workshops to do this is, you know, what's the spiritual work? I mean, it's one thing to know about your number, uh, but that's really just information. Like, at what point does the, the your knowledge become an opportunity for genuine change? You know, how is it that you don't attach to these identities? How do you let go of them so that they may still be operative, and but you can observe them compassionately and not get caught up in the sort of the, the the sort of the craziness of you know each that each number has, right? So one of the one of the I'm sorry, Chris, you were just picking up your mic, and I well, don't want to interrupt you. I was going to say this, when you said spiritual work, Richard Rohr, his writings have been helpful and uh, like something to attain to for me as a one. Uh-huh. Uh, everything belongs, also falling upward, especially. Yeah, um, he's eager, a one eager to love. Right, right, right. So that would help, right? Yeah. I mean, just to yeah. hear it in his voice. One of the hallmark features of ones, and and we teach this when we're away and in our, we talk about it in our new book. Like, you know, if there's a litmus test <clears throat> for ones, we just say, do you hear the voices? And, and uh, can you explain to our folks what the voices are? What, when I say that, what does that mean? And, and what's the experience of those voices? Because it's not schizophrenia. It's not literally hearing voices or in, in your head, but what, what, are, what are the voices? I would say I constantly I'm never at rest. Like I'm constantly thinking about the next step. Is it right that ones are future? Present moment. They are present moment. I guess in my way is the present is constantly just trying to, uh, like I never internally am at rest and Mm -hmm. I'm constantly feeling like I've got to do this and then this and then this and then this. And and it's, and it's never, I've arrived or that's enough. I've done enough today. It's always like, well, let me just make my list tonight of everything that I didn't get done today so that I can do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's silly, my list. Like when you say talking about lists, it's just like, it helps a little bit to get it out of my head, but like that constant voice of like, you have so much you have left to do and it's, it's tiresome, you know? Well, and, and I, I would guess that it's, uh, if you have the list, it's, well, you didn't get everything done. Right. You didn't do the list again today. How many things do you have to move to the list tomorrow? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I would think. Mm -hmm. So what about you? Because I know voices are different for everybody, Christopher. What are they like for you? Definitely, it's not the the schizophrenia kind of uh, voices, hopefully. Um, But I would say that the voices are always kind of asking, is this as good as it could be or is this as is this perfect yet? And if, and I'm, I mean, reasonably, I know that everything can't be perfect, but also could I have done a better job on this? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for my entire life, 
I've been taught that that's a great question to ask. And I still know, you know, of course, that's a great question to ask. But a difficult thing for one, I'm assuming for all ones, is to have kind of discernment on when is, when do I, when can I stop asking that question? Have Mm -hmm. I done a quote, good enough job on this? Because also, you know, the kind of the antithesis of that, I guess, could be like, you could just get lazy and say, well, good enough is good enough. And if that's for everything you ever do, always and forever, then you could just kind of become a slob and yeah. not ever do anything, you know, lazy bum kind of Slippery thing. Slippery slope. Uh, so, Slippery yeah, slope. it's interesting you should you should say that, right? Because one of the, the features of a one is some pretty black and white dualistic thinking, right? It's either amen. perfect or... Yeah. <laughs> amen. <laughs> can, we have a, can I get an amen? amen. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's either uh, all perfect or it's sloppy and lazy and I didn't show up and, and, and bring my A game, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. It's yes. perfect so, or it's not. Yeah, it's either perfect or, or it's not. Now, now, what's fascinating to me is we have a marriage in here with two ones, and I'm I'm dying to know what the dynamic is like <laughs> with two perfectionists in the house. Like, you know, let's we'll, we'll circle to parenting, but let's just talk about your relationship before you knew the Enneagram, and let's talk about your, your relationship after you've started just in recent time to become familiar and how it's changed, if at all. We haven't we haven't set this story up, but I'll say this. Um, the one thing that I remember that Amanda tells folks, like, what 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 was the first thing that, quote, attracted you to Christopher or anything like that? Uh, she said, um, she she saw my car, she liked my car, and and so she, so she came and looked at my car one day after work, and uh, she saw that I had a little paintbrush in the in the dashboard, and she, and the paintbrush was for dusting out yeah. the air conditioner vents. <laughs> That cannot be possible. That's true. Oh, I have. I'm not kidding. I just for dusting. Yeah. You know what? We got to come up with. He can't get near my car. (laughs) No, he can't get near your car. Well, I've come a long way since then. Yeah, there's no paintbrushes in (laughs) your car. You guys be wearing hazmat suits in my car. (laughs) We got to get gifts for people uh, for each number. Yeah. Mm. And we can get those little. Uh, clean your car vent brushes for ones. Yes. It's like the takeaway for today is not a mug, but rather that's something right. you'll really use. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's, that's right. great. Yeah, you could just buy me the soundtrack to Edward Scissorhands. I'm a four. <laughs> that would be good. That'd be good. Uh, that's an amazing story. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about the dynamic, like uh, in your relationship with ones, two perfectionists in the house. Um, one thing, you know, when people hear that we're both ones and they know the Enneagram, uh, you know, they think, oh my God, how do you, how do you do that? Um, one thing is that's the areas that I'm really perfectionistic about for the most part, well, at least some of them are not the same areas Mm -hmm. that Amanda is really perfectionist. I mean, there are some areas in my life where I'm a slob. I don't like picking clothes up off the floor, that kind of stuff. So my side of the closet doesn't look like a one's closet, really. But you always have your air vents in your car. (laughs) But if I'm cutting an onion in the kitchen or or cooking, is is cooking and washing clothes. And music. And music, of course. Uh, I'm a musician. But cooking and washing clothes and kind of organization around music and that kind of thing is our three one areas for me and for And Amanda, I have no desire to have those perfect those in the area. So mine are definitely like to-do lists, like home things, like with my kids, like making sure like everything is set and 
kind of that constant need of like organization in my house. Like I feel like a really healthy day is like if I've like cleaned out a drawer and made it perfect at the end of right. the day. We live and die. And one thing that's really helped, I mean, I think for me being married to a one, you know, someone with the same number, so far I've seen it as a lot more helpful than problematic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, I mean, we're on the same page. The part that, uh, so for instance, we live and die by lists and calendars. So we share calendars, you know, and on, on our phones. And so Amanda can add something and, and I look at my calendar for the day. That's what I'm doing, that kind of thing. So one of the things you mentioned was music. Um, so you are the music and arts. Yeah, director of worship and arts at Christ Church here in Nashville. Right. And um, how does a one manage directing volunteer participants who might not be just exactly talented enough? Oh yeah, lots of work. Honestly, I feel like the over the past year since I've you know learned more about the Enneagram, and I would say maybe over the past three years since I started reading Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. um, I think I've become a much I want to say better, but maybe at least more well-rounded, more comprehensive kind of pastor for a group of about 150 musicians, choir, sing, choir uh, members, and band members at the church, where when we're in rehearsal, I'm not as demanding 100% of the time. There's a, there's a time in choir rehearsals when we're absolutely trying to perfect this, but... Um, Regarding spirituality and for me, you know, a, a, a life that's trying to be conformed to Christ and trying to be Christ-like, um, realizing that Christ doesn't, uh, that God doesn't love me anymore if it's perfect or if it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the people that might be in our congregation on any given Sunday, somehow the, the Lord uses good music mm-hmm. and beauty and, and maybe even we could say perfected to some degree music to somehow speak to people. And that's mystery. And I don't understand how it works, but also, man, if we really just mess this song up, he's God, we're not. And, and he can, he can still, if he wants to move on somebody's heart in a certain way, he can. And so that's a, that's a balance that I constantly that my choir is seeing me work through and they're working through it with me. Yeah. And I would also say for him, he's, he's got really strong wings. Like his nine and his two are, are, I think are very helpful in that context. Especially two. I I think it's probably a much stronger two wing. Mm. And I have no wings at all. (laughs) Oh, she is a dead on one. Oh, I have no wings yet. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. They're coming. (laughs) They're coming. So, I want to just um, I, I, I don't, so so I'll, let's just do a real time thing here. Yeah. So just a moment ago, you lost your you lost your place, yeah. And you were like, okay. And by the way, I'm older than you are, and, and that actually happens to me about every eight to twelve minutes. Just so <laughs> oh, you know, great. like yeah, 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 like I forget my name and I forgot where I am and how to get there. Um, I want to know in that moment, as a one. What would your first natural reaction be? Like, oh, I just lost my place. I, you know, what? Uh, well, I can tell you before that, when Amanda was answering a question, when you asked the question, I had the perfect answer. 
And then Amanda started talking and I was like, oh, I was, I was engaged in what Amanda was saying. And then like about halfway through her answer, I was saying, oh God, I forgot the question. I've got, I hope that she finishes this. And, uh, and they go to something else because I'm, I'm clueless. Thankfully, Suzanne, uh, asked the question again. So, but, um, yeah, the, I don't want to look, I don't want to look stupid, which right. I, I don't know how universal that is or how, how one that is. Um, I th- can I just answer yeah. that? Yeah. I don't think, I, I think we all don't want to look stupid. But how we react to believing that in a moment we look foolish is what differentiates us in terms of Enneagram numbers. So for you to have that moment is a, a, a flag that reminds you about imperfection. And then you think, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to pe- people to think I'm flawed. For me... It would be, the response would be, oh, I hope that doesn't mean people aren't going to like me or aren't going to love me or aren't going to want me, right? What would it be for you, Ian? Oh, um, it really wouldn't be that big a deal. That, yeah. that wouldn't be that big a deal. And, and actually, for a four, I might actually uh, flip it into something actually I could wax philosophical about, you know, like, well, there's just another example of how the, the world just, you know, it ain't a perfect place. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's not a black or white. I was perfect or not, not perfect thing. It wouldn't, that wouldn't be a thing that I'd get stuck on. I would be more stuck on it if I felt like I didn't interview where people didn't walk away thinking I was special. Or unique. Amanda and I were talking a little bit about this this morning, and we're talking about motivation versus behavior Mm -hmm. with ones and nines and twos, because we're one, so our wings are nine and two. And um, she was, I was, she was asking me about something, and I said, I'm not really motivated by as much by what people think about me. I do things because I want want them to be correct. And I, of course, I hope people like me or, you know, hope people think that's good. But at the end of the day, I, I receive a lot more or I receive all uh, the uh, I, I, I care about was it did I do it right? Right. Or you right. Know, that, that means so much more than uh, whether or not people are going to like it. Yeah, I that's mm-hmm. lovely. I mm-hmm. don't know how you live in that space, <laughs> but good for you. <laughs> so, um do you see your oneness in conflict with each other? Like, not does it cause conflict, but do you see that lived out in your marriage? Marriage. Yeah. I would say um, the biggest thing that we probably he gets the most upset at me about is that I never tell him I'm angry. Like, I'm never. It's never. I'm fresh. I'm always frustrated, uh-huh. or I'm a little worked up, or like it's this person's problem, and it's never like I'm personally mad and I'm angry and here's why. I always have some sort of like, no, I'm not angry. And it's like, I'm saying, no, I'm not angry. And I'm like, mad as can be. But I never want, because that being angry is not perfect. Like that means I have something wrong and I I shouldn't have anything wrong. So I'm fine. And because we both think being angry is bad. Right. You know, if she gets over her if she gets over that and can be in a healthy place and say, I really am angry. Well, if I'm not in a healthy place, I have the, well, you can't be angry. That's, you know, yeah. that yeah. kind of well, that's well, terrible. script breaking <laughs> yes, off yes. the script. Yeah. Now, yeah, people. Right. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so the, on that score, um, you've got two beautiful kids. You're both ones. 
How's that going? How old are the kids again? Uh, Jack is three and a half, right. and Francine is one and a half. And okay. Francine Claire is her name, by the way, and, and we wouldn't have named her that, probably, had we not read the book Chasing Francis. Yes. That was a big deal. <laughs> and but... taken our journey to Italy. Yeah, and wow, a four-week uh, sabbatical to Italy after oh, reading cool. that. Yeah. Great. Okay, back to your story. <laughs> um, I would say, one, the Enneagram came at the perfect time in our lives because, man, I can't imagine uh, this stage of life, uh, this season of life, and and raising kids. Um, it, it, it broke us down into tears when you spoke last fall. Oh, I'm going to start crying now. Um, it's so helpful. I mean, I want to not pass on of course I am but like I'm going to try just from your advice and your guidance to choose to not push my oneness and even though I'm in my trying I know I still will but at least if I'm aware of it it can help me let lead them through a path of maybe not as much of the intensity that I carry day to day in my life um the other day uh, I guess it was a couple days ago Jack was I was putting him, I was about to put him to bed. And this is just the story that like, he's so aware of his parents' personality and what they need. Um, he, he said to me, he said, mommy, what do you like about me? And I just froze and I said, oh, Jack, I just, and I said a hundred things. Like, I love your personality. I think you're so sweet. You treat your sister so well, you, you, love your mommy and daddy so much. You love Jesus. Like I just said so many, I think I said a hundred things like, cause I was like, he needs to hear something from his mommy right now. And he said, you like it when I pick up my toys, don't you? <laughs> Yikes. Yes. And I said, yeah, you know, and I just tried to play it off like, no, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of the that things. That too. That too. But how did he, how did he, what was in his little mind that was making him, you know, go to that place, he knows his mom's number. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. And it, I walked down the stairs and told Christopher and I just was like, I was a mess. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Like, can, can, oh, go ahead. I have so many things that I probably, but um, I would just to, by way of speaking into that and, and Suzanne and I are a little older Every number, right, has its own generational uh, liabilities, right? That we're, we're afraid of what rolling downhill, right, Sus? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we yeah. all do. That's not, uh, you know, unique to ones, right? I, I, I can see my children. Well, as my children got older, and I don't know for, for you, Suzanne, if this was true, I, I had a moment with one of my, my daughter, Maddie, who I, I adore, where um, I, uh, it just came up in conversation. Uh, and I said to her, you know, Maddie, a day may come when you're going to be angry at me about some things. And, and I just want you to know that if for some reason I'm not here when that happens, that I'm sorry now. And so I just say that by way of encouragement to you, that a time will come, your kids are going to figure this out. They're, they're, they're going to know what your heart is. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the thing that's going to matter more in the end than anything else. So anyhow. So I just want to add to that, that you can't 
change how you see. Mm-hmm. All you can do is change what you do with how you see. So here's what I would have said. So so since you're a little teary and I'm a a, a two, I'm going to try <laughs> to fix a little of that. So um, our son, who's a four, had a hard time socially. It's hard to be a four uh, as a little boy. And probably fifth grade, sixth grade, I uh, had a talk with him one day that I thought would be very helpful. And I said, you know, I I just think it would be so great for you if you could try just to be a little bit more like other people. (laughs) I'm a four, sorry, so I'm just laughing right now. That's the absolute worst thing. You know it, too. Look at your face. You know that that is the worst thing that I could have told a four whose desire is always to be authentic. So I, I think that one of the lovely things about the approach that Ian and I have with the Enneagram is that it's the Enneagram is little bitty, and then there's grace. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram is us doing our best, and then there's what God does with us doing our best. And it's about awareness, and the, the thing that ones have to work on is you don't give equal time to all the things that you get right. So Jack will have a safe environment always. Jack will have healthy lunches. Jack will have freedom to play in an environment where he knows what the boundaries are so he'll feel safe. There are lots of things that you provide because you're ones that other numbers struggle to provide, that other numbers would come on the show and say, I... I'm not very good about boundaries. Uh, my kids are kind of running amok, and I don't know what to do. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so be be kind. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself. So what you got, Christopher? How's parenting going, Dad? Um, I, I, I have the same struggles that Amanda does in yeah. that sense with uh, – I've had similar questions, maybe not quite as poignant as, as that one and direct that Jack, that Jack gave Amanda. One thing that um, – that your story just reminded me of was a Richard Rohr thing that I've heard that that is in parenting and in marriage and in everything. He he said that um, when we get compliments, compliments are like Teflon that slide mm-hmm. right off, mm-hmm. but criticisms are like Velcro mm-hmm. and they stick to us. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that as a one, of course, uh, and and that has stuck to me and and. It's so, so true for ones um, that we have a really tough time seeing past any of the negative to get to the positive, I think. It's, it's hard to look past the negative. If I see the negative, I want to fix the negative, and then we can get to the positive. Um, so one thing with Enneagram work is the seven, trying to explore our sevenness. Mm-hmm. So when, when ones are in health and security... We go to um, seven, and we recognize that on vacation. We can see sometimes that we can become a seven on vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, not become a seven, but yeah, access get some that of good that energy. energy. I mean, like get, yeah. get a DWI or something like that. Yeah, right. You know, something. Uh, Amanda saw an R-rated movie the other day. Hope- Uh-oh. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> girl. Watch out now. <laughs> so, you know, my dad was a one on the Enneagram, and um, he was uh, financially very, um, he was a doc, and he was financially very um, committed to no debt and things like that. But uh, he gave me a list of 10 things that I should know when I 
got married and started a family. And one of the things was you should never borrow money unless it's for a vacation. Wow. What that? That's a cool thing. Hmm. Wow. And he said, you should never not take a vacation because you can't afford it, because you can't afford not to. And, you know, coming from a one, you know that without knowing the Enneagram, he was telling me that from his heart. Here, here's where the good stuff happened. So you got to be sure you do this. It's essential. Yeah, that's great. And I've heard you say, if I'm married to a one, I'm going to make sure that the one there's one night a week, um, one yeah. night a month, rather, right. that uh, 24 hours that we're going to get out of town and where this one has no responsibilities. So do we get do we get like 48 hours since there's two of us? Absolutely, you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get 48 hours because of the age distance between Jack and Francine. Yes. <laughs> 24, right. you sleep. Then you get yeah, a little seven right. time. That's, that's right. right. Absolutely. I would say also another thing about parenting is, uh, this is universal, I think, but for a one, it's, it's kind of helpful. You've never realized how uh, not in control of things you are until you become a parent. And like, there are so many things that are out of my control, like sickness or another person's personality or just, you, you don't, I feel like I was so in control and, I, and it was a false control, of right, course, right. but I felt like I was. And then I became a parent and I was like, Oh, I don't have any control over anything right. and only God can keep these children alive and help me parent them and be like a, a model to them and, and raise them up the right way. I don't I don't have any of this control. Like it is it is totally I have to be dependent on the person who is in control. Absolutely. You know what I just I just had a revelation and I think we can use this in our teaching. Okay. Um maybe I have to think about this because it just came to me, but maybe for more than any other number on the Enneagram, a great spiritual transformational work tool for once would be to go to Al-Anon. Oh, that's fascinating it to learn be, about lack of control. Yeah, to, to learn about the 12 steps and 12-step spirituality. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept mm -hmm. the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about admitting that I'm powerless over my controlling uh, sort of behavior, because Al-Anon's all about some of the things that, that resonate with some mm -hmm. of the things that, that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in recovery. Uh, Susan's had some good experience with uh, uh, folks in recovery uh, as well. And, and I just, that was just a revelation to me. That's good. So we got to work on that. Yeah, let's that's, do. Let's that's really do that. helpful. Thank you for that. Gosh. So Christopher, you asked me to um, tell a story that you were going to tell a story afterwards. Yeah. So let me talk about my grandson Noah. Um, he's he starts started fourth grade yesterday, but uh, as a kindergartner, he was at the end of the year program, and he had his. Um, he was uh, they were singing all these little kindergartners, and he was perfectly tucked in and shoes tied and singing his little heart out, and then he kind of got happy, and he put his hand in his pocket. And I was watching it, and he pulled it out, and then both hands were fisted, and he kept them down at his side the whole rest of the time. And the smile was gone, but the song was still there. And I knew that at that moment he was hearing those voices that say, that's not, you broke the rules, it's not okay. And he tried to correct as quickly as he could. 
Tell me what that elicits from you. Yeah, I, I can so identify with that kindergartner. I can identify my kindergarten self, you know, with him. I was like that uh, then. And also as a 35-year-old, um, as, and uh, as a musician, you know, there's, I, I perform a lot and I uh, improvise a lot, uh, you know, so it's not always just regurgitating what's on the page. That was a bad way to say that. It's not it's always good. just reading what's on the page. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I improvise and do my own thing. Um, and occasionally, you know, I, I, I flub a note and it's especially hard to, um, to try to get back quote off the page, to try to get back in that. Maybe it's a four space or maybe it's a kind of carefree place after I've messed up. Let's follow that. Yeah. Cause I just wrote down a note to myself that, what I wanted to say was, so do you think that, well, let me back up and say yeah. that um, a, a really good guy that we all know who pastors a church here in Nashville um, came up to me and whispered in my ear at a point when you were in the room where I was teaching and said, uh, you know, Christopher is one of the premier musicians in Nashville. Now that's saying a lot. And... Um, I, I stood up a little straighter and thought, oh, okay. <laughs> so do you think that because you're so qualified as a pianist that that gives you the courage to improvise and that when you, so that that's in a safe place, but when you improvise, if you make a mistake, then you got to stop having fun and go back to that, mm, I, it's much more important to get it. I've got right. chill bumps. You are reading my mouth <laughs> yeah. because I know if there's if I'm anything on the planet, it's a pianist, and I know that that's I know that I've worked really hard at that, and also I know that it's a God given gift, um, and so I feel extremely confident around that. But when I make a mistake, mm -hmm. it's it all kind of goes out the window because mm -hmm. it's not about what you do; it's about who you are. So, I, and I think mm -hmm. that's really big mm -hmm. for ones. You know, Ian and I are in the shame triad. The twos, threes, and fours have shame just under the surface. And for eights, nines, and ones, it's anger. It seems, though, that you guys carry an awful lot of shame beneath your anger. Or Yes. Can you talk about that? Just that it's absolutely true. I definitely get the anger, and, and resentment is huge for ones. But and I've always when you say maybe ones carry shame beneath the anger, I've kind of thought that's my two wing, but I can definitely identify with that. Mm -hmm. um, with wanting to impress people, yeah, you know. Um, I think when you also have vulnerability go into the play, that also if if you do something that's vulnerable and you it's not perfect. It doesn't necessarily induce anger. I guess you're mad at yourself, but it's kind of a, more of a shame. Yeah. It's like, I just was vulnerable and I just did something that I normally would not do, but I did it. And then I feel a little bit of, Ooh, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. And then there's like a shame piece to that at the mm -hmm. bottom of it. Well, this has been a, a remarkable conversation and piggybacking off of this. Do you, do you, before we close up, have you guys read Brene Brown's book, The Gift of Imperfection? I've read all of her stuff. Literally, my, my train of 
spirituality these past two years has definitely been, you know, read a lot of reading. And then last year it, I ended all of the Brene Brown books by attending that conference and it kind of just put a bow on it all for right. me. But yeah, Brene has been fabulous yeah. for me. She, she has this great quote from, from that book we can close with. She says, yes, I'm imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I'm also brave and worthy of love and belonging. And I, you know, I guess my prayer for me and for Suzanne and, and this today after hearing you two share so vulnerably and bravely with us is that, you know, the Enneagram helps all people to have a sense that, um, that they're brave and worthy of love and belonging in the world. Thanks for you sharing your story, for being with us. And Suzanne, as always, it's been a blast hanging with you. You know, um, I just want to tap that off with, I think Jack and Francine are awfully lucky kids. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you're you, so Suzanne. welcome. Thanks for being uh, what we need ones to be so other folks can learn. Thank you. Behave yourself, Ian Cron. Going to do my best. All righty. Bye now. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, produced by Jim Chafee, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Laurie Chaffer. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and a list of our public appearances around the country. Also, you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Please join us next week when we'll be with our friend from Australia, Darren Whitehead. He's a three and the lead pastor of the Church of the City in Franklin, Tennessee. You don't want to miss it.